Welcome back, my fellow creatives, to Story Cuppings, and not just any Story Cuppings. We are back with Blondie's Books. Oh yeah. <laughs> my daughter is here with me, and we are using December as a chance for her to share books she's been telling me to read for quite a while now. She has been demanding, yes. And so we thought we would use this month as a chance to not just share the books that she loves uh but to also you know dive into them as as writers and and hopefully you know inspire you when you're looking for a book to share with the young reader in your life maybe one of these picks will strike your fancy so what is today's selection Wings of Fire, The Dragonette Prophecy, book numero uno. By? Tweety Sutherland. Okay, so you ready to dig into this first chapter here? Sure. Okay. Chapter one. Clay didn't think he was the right dragon for a big heroic destiny. Oh, he wanted to be. He wanted to be the great mudwing savior of the dragon world, glorious and brave. He wanted to do all the wonder under wonderful things expected of him. He wanted to look at the world, figure out what was broken, and fix it. But he wasn't a natural hatched hero. He had no legendary qualities at all. He liked sleeping more than studying, and he kept losing chickens in the caves during hunting practice because he was paying attention to his friends instead of watching for feathers. He was alright at fighting, but alright wasn't going to stop the war and save the dragon tribes. He needed to be extraordinary. He was the biggest dragonette, so he's supposed to be so he was supposed to be the scary tough one. The miners wanted him to be terrifyingly dangerous. Clay felt as about as dangerous as a cauliflower. Fight! His attacker howled, flinging him across the cavern. Clay crashed into a rock wall and scrambled up again, trying to spread his mud-colored wings for balance. Red talons raked at his face and he ducked away. Come on, the red dragon snarled. Stop holding back. Find the killer inside you and let it out. I'm trying, Clay said. Maybe if we could just stop and talk about it. She lunged for him again. Faint to the left. Roll right. Use your fire. Clay tried to duck under her wing to attack her from below, but of course he rolled the wrong way. One of her talons smashed him to the ground and he yelped with pain. Which left was that, useless? Kestrel belled bellowed in his ear. Are all mudwings this stupid? Or are you just deaf? Oh, hang on, hang on. So, I'm noticing here a bit of a similarity between this book and the book we read for day one, which was How to Train Your Dragon. There are, well, the main similarity is that they're in the beginning, they're both big two idiots yelling at the hero. Yes, there's, there's two idiots, two, two big bully types yelling at our heroes, and how would you describe the two heroes, Hiccup in How to Train Your Dragon and Clay here in Wings of Fire? Well, Hiccup is more shy and less strong and big, obviously, and he's a lot, he knows a lot more comparatively. Clay cares a lot more about his friends and is... Arguably, arguably the largest, larger too. Okay, so he's size-wise, he's big, 
but he doesn't really like to fight. That's one similarity they have. Yeah, I'm noticing that. Where it's like we have expectations set by other characters on our protagonists. Like in How to Train Your Dragon, Hiccup was expected to be the big chief's son and be the big head honcho. And Clay was expected to be one of the greatest dragonets of destiny to defend their dragon continent from war and stuff. Yeah, so having these expectations, and I think young readers can... Well, you're a young reader, Blondie. But, uh, but it just... Readers in general can appreciate the struggle a character would face with expectations that are kind of hoisted on them. You know, because we all have those, at times, expectations put upon us, and we just don't feel like we're going to meet them. But we don't want to disappoint people. And that makes a really big conflict inside the character. And that really makes these characters more compelling. Because we can relate. Yes. So let's keep reading now and see what Clay does next. Well, if you keep that up, I will be soon, Clay thought. The Skywing lifted her claws and he wriggled free. But I don't know about other mudwings, he protested, liking his sore talons. Obviously, but perhaps we could try fighting without all the shouting and see. He stopped, hearing the familiar hiss that came before one of Kestrel's fire attacks. He threw his wings over his head, tucked his long neck in, and rolled into the, into the maze of stalagmites that, that studded one corner of the cave. Flames blasted the rocks around him, singeing the tip of his tail. Coward! The, the older dragon bellowed. She smashed one of the rock columns into a shower of sharp, sharp black pebbles. Clay covered his eyes and almost immediately felt her stamp down hard on his tail. Ow! He yelled. You said stomping tails was cheating! He seized the closest stalagmite between his ta claws and scrambled up on top of it. From his perch near the roof, he glared down at his guardian. I'm your teacher. Kestrel snarled. Nothing I do is cheating. Get down here and fight like a Skywing. But I'm not a Skywing, Clay thought rebelliously. I'm a Mudwing. I don't like setting things on fire or flapping around in circles, biting at dragons' necks. His teeth still ached from Kestrel's jewel, jewel heart scales. Can't I fight one of the others? Yes, I'm much better at that. The other dragonettes were his own size, nearly, and they didn't cheat. Well, most of the time. He actually liked fighting with them. Oh, yes? Which opponent would you would you prefer? The stunted sandwing or the lazy rainwing? Kestrel said. Because I'm sure you'll, you'll get to choose out the on the battlefield. Her tail glowed like embers as she lashed it back and forth. Glory's not lazy, Clay said loyally. She's just not built for fighting, that's all. Webb says there's not much to fight about in the rainforest because the rainwings have all the food they want. He says that's why they stayed out of the war so far, because none of the rival queens want rainwings in their armies anyway. He says, Stop yammering and get down here! Kestrel roared. She reared up on her back legs and flared her wings, so she suddenly looked three times bigger. With a yelp of alarm, Clay tried to leap to the next stalagmite, but his wings unfurled too slowly, and he smacked into the side of it instead. 
Sparks flew as his claws scraped down the jagged rock. He let out another yellow of pain as Kestrel snaked her neck between the columns, sneezed his tail in her teeth, and yanked him out into the open. Her talons closed around his neck as she hissed in his ear. Where is that violent little monster I saw when you hatched? That's the dragon we need for the prophecy. Go! Whoa, whoa, whoa. So, this teacher has was there when he was born? Yes. wonder he's got extra expectations put on him. I also liked how there was a little bit of world building tucked in here, once again, in the dialogue during action. We are not pausing the story to be told about different dragons. We're getting in the information as things happen about these rainforest dragons and that there are queens that are warring. Yes. We don't know how many queens yet. We just know there are multiple queens who are fighting. And these dragons, like Clay, have to go join the battle, too. Yes. Did I miss anything so far? Mm, not really. Okay. So, again, it's just the little bits of world building. We're not getting everything broken down. We don't know all there is to know about the queens or all the different dragons. We, we, we're getting a sense of it when they are just dropping names, like Rainwing. Was it Skywing? And it's Sandwing. Okay. So we, we're hearing from the terminology the world building as well. The, the names, the terminology here are not so outlandish that we couldn't catch on or figure it out. <coughs> but it's just enough to be unique. Here, kiddo. You keep reading. I gotta drink some water. <coughs> Clay squawked, claw clawing at her grip. He could feel the strange burn scars on her, on her palms, scraping against his scales. This was how battle training with Kestrel always ended, with him unconscious, then sore or limping for days afterward. Fight back, he thought. Get mad! Do something! But although he was the biggest of the dragonettes, they were all—they were still a year away from being full-grown, and Kestrel towered over him. He tried to summon some helpful violent rage, but all he could think was, it'll be over soon, and then I could go have dinner. So, not the most heroic train of thought. Suddenly, Kestrel let out a roar and dropped him. Fire blasted over Clay's head as he hit the floor with a thud. The red dragon whirled around, behind her panting defiantly. Ceiling dragonette, Tsunami. A red gold scale was caught between her sharp white teeth. She spat it out and glared at her teacher. Stop picking on clay, Tsunami growled, or I'll bite you again. Her deep blue scales shimmered like cobalt glass in the torchlight. The gills in her long neck were pulsing like they always did when she was angry. Kestrel sat back and flicked her tail around to examine the bite mark. She bared her teeth at Tsunami. Aren't you sweet? Protecting a dragon who tried to kill you while you were still in an egg. But luckily you big dragons were there to save our lives, Tsunami said. And we sure appreciate it, because now we get to hear about it all the time. She marched around to stand between Clay and Kestrel. Clay winced. He hated hearing the story. He didn't understand it. He never want he he'd never want to hurt the other dragonettes. So why had he attacked their eggs during hatching? Did he really have a killer monster inside him somewhere? 
The other minders, Webb and Dune, said he'd be for, he'd been ferocious when he hatched. They'd had to throw him in the river to protect the other eggs from him. Kestrel wanted him to find that monster and used it when he fought. But he was afraid if he ever did, he would hate himself, and so would everybody else. Thinking about what he'd nearly done to his friends made him feel like all the fire had been sucked out of him. He didn't particularly want to be a violent, angry monster, even if Kestrel thought that would be an improvement. But maybe that was the only way to make the prophecy come true. Maybe that monster was his destiny. Oh, hang on. That's a great line. Uh, imagine thinking that you have to become a monster that, and you're doomed to become a monster. <laughs> but, and that's the thing. is that Again, we're working with a character here who already has conflict because he's told he was violent, yet he never feels that violence. And he does not... He was told he was violent towards other dragonettes that he cares about and the fact that he's told time and again his destiny is to become this horrifying thing who'd want to fulfill that destiny well nobody i know and that's that's again that makes for a compelling conflict it makes for a compelling story and I can see, kiddo, why you... Because this is a series of, what, 14, 15 books? 14, actually 16, counting the legends. Okay. So this is a long-running series. And... 15th book's coming out in April. <laughs> We're paying attention to this. Um, but that's the thing. You've been... You really dove in... Once you started reading this series, you couldn't stop. And I can appreciate it because you have here already in these first, like, how far? We're page seven. Or what, page six? Yeah. Okay, page six. And while we have not seen much of the world visually, because we've just been in a cave so far, we already have a very powerful sense of um, things being dire that kids are being, well, dragon kids are being trained to fight already that um, these older dragons are insisting to one that he is the most violent and this monstrous creature that is prophesied to do wonderful things as a monster. And so to be told you are going to be a horrible, brutal thing. <laughs> Hooray! I mean, who wants that? So, sorry, yes, get up. Nobody wants that. <laughs> so, I can see how such a start to the hero's arc could really get a kiddo's attention or any reader's attention, for that matter. All right, should we? We got a couple minutes. Let's keep going here. All right, Kestrel said dismissively. We're finished here anyway. I'll mark another failure in your scroll muddling. She snorted a small flame into the air and swept out of the cave. Clay flopped down onto the floor as soon as, as soon as her red tail had vanished from sight. It felt like every one of his scales was stinging from the burns. He's going to be so mean to you during the, your training tomorrow, 
he said to Tsunami. Oh, no! the seawing dragon had gasped. I've never seen Kestrel be mean before! That's so unexpected and out of character! Ow, Clay groaned. Don't make me laugh. I think my ribs are broken. Your ribs are not broken, Kestrel said, poking him in the side with her nose. Dragon bones are almost as hard as diamonds. You're fine. Get up and jump in the river. No! Clay buried his head under his wing. Too cold! Jump in the river was tsunami solution for everything. Board? Anking bones? Dry scales? Brain overstuffed with the history of the war? Jump in the river! She'd shout when any of the other dragonettes complained. She certainly did not care what that she was the only one who could breathe underwater, or that most of the other dragon tribes hated getting wet. Clay didn't mind being wet, but he couldn't stand being cold, and the underground river that flowed through their cave home was always freezing. Get in, Tsunami ordered. She seized his tail between her front talons and started dragging him toward the river. You'll feel better. I will not, Clay shouted, clawing at the smooth stone floor. I'll feel colder. Stop. Stop it. Go away. Arg! His protests went up in a cloud of bubbles as Tsunami dumped him in the icy water. When he resurfed it, when he resurfaced, she was floating beside him, ducking her head and splashing water all over her scales like a beautiful overgrown fish. Clay felt like a gawky brown blob next to her. He splashed into the shallows and lay down on a submerged rock ledge, with his head resting on the bank of the river. He wouldn't admit it, but the burns and aches did feel better in the water. The current helped wash away the smoky rock dust that caught between its dry scales. Still too cold, though. Clay scratched at the rock below him. Why couldn't there be just a little mud down there? Kestrel will be sorry one day, but I'm the queen of the sea wings, Tsunami said, swimming up and down the narrow channel. I thought only a queen's daughters or sisters could challenge her for the throne, Clay said. Tsunami swam so fast. He wished he had webs between his talons, too, or gills, or, or a tail like hers, so powerful she could nearly empty the river with one big splash. Well, maybe the sea-wing queen is my mother, and I'm a lost princess, she said, like in the story. Everything the dragonettes knew about the outside world came from the scrolls picked up by the towns of peace. Their favorite was the missing princess, a legend about a runaway sea-wing dragonette whose royal family tore up the whole world ocean looking for her. And at the end, she found her way home, and her parents welcomed her with open wings and a feasting and joy. Clay always skipped the adventures in the middle of the story. He just liked that last part, the happy mother and father, and the feasting. The feasting sound pretty great, too. I wonder what my parents are like. I wonder if any of our parents are still alive, Tsunami said. Clay didn't like to think about that. He knew dragons were dying in the war every day. Kestrel and Webbs brought back news of bloody battles, scorched land, burning piles of dragon bodies. But he had to believe his parents were still safe. Do you think they ever miss us? Definitely. Tsunami flicked a spray of water at him with her tail. I bet mine were frantic when Webb stole my egg, just like in the story. Uh, for the sake of time, we're going to stop there. And that was another interesting bit of... I know, no, we're just about out of time. I know, it's hard. But... Here we have another interesting bit of storytelling 
and world building, I should say, <laughs> in that these young dragons only know of the world from what the older dragons give them in this cave. And that includes some scrolls, but that's it. As far as these dragon kids know, they're of a dying few because everyone's getting killed off. We haven't seen this happen. We don't know that for sure is happening. It's just what the big old dragons say. Right, kiddo? Mm-hmm. So the world could be very different out there. And who these dragons belong to as far as family? Well, here's hoping that there are happy endings waiting for those dragons. Mm-hmm. Any quote? Any closing thoughts here, kiddo? You must read this series. It's one of the best series on Earth. And since we left off on a cliffhanger, you must read it (laughs) to find out what happens next. Okay. So I'm excited to keep hearing more of Blondie's favorite stories. Are you going to give us a hint about what's happened, what we're going to read next? There are nocturnal birds in the next one. All right. Well, my fellow creators, I hope you've enjoyed the second installment of Blondie's books and that you'll return to find out who these nocturnal birds are for our third episode. Until then, read on, share on, and write on, my friends. Cheers.